Greetings, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Jill Thompson, and welcome to Money Mondays powered by the Joseph Business School. Today on our podcast, we are discussing real estate investing, growing your wealth with real estate. I'm excited about today's podcast. This podcast is perfect for the person who wants to know the ins and outs of real estate investing and desires to build long-term wealth. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 6 and 11 that the Lord has given us houses filled with all good things. Houses, not a house, but houses with an S. Isaiah 65, 21 and 22 says, and they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the works of their hands. God's desire is for his people to have ownership. Remember, on this segment, we are discussing real estate investing. I'm excited, guys, because this is a part of the breakthrough. No longer, the word says, will we plant and not eat, or build and not inhabit. But God is making it so that in this season, when we plant, we will eat. And when we build, we will enjoy the works of our hands. This is the manifestation of the harvest. So how do we get there? Joining me today on our Money Mondays podcast are a team of experts. We have Walanda Cannon, broker of Ani Real Estate. Lutalo McGee, owner and managing broker of Ani Real Estate. Mark Buford. Business Development Manager of Midwest for Lima One Capital. And Yandi K. Morris Andrews, Attorney of KMR Law Group. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Money Mondays. Hi, How are all of you? Wonderful. Great. Great. So let's go ahead and get started for our viewer who are watching. What, why should people invest in real estate? That's a good question, Jill. The first thing that I would say is, one, it's biblical, we, as we know, um, and the word says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And yeah. inheritance can be passed down in multiple ways, including houses and land. So that's first, right? Yeah. And then the second is, it's just a really wonderful way to build wealth. You can build wealth in several ways. Um, through tax benefits, there are tax laws that favor purchasing, holding properties, selling properties, and so they're favorable to those who invest in real estate. Okay. You also can produce cash flow, and of course cash flow can fluctuate. It depends on what your expenses would be if you're acquiring a building or whatever, especially if you're holding. Mm -hmm. But you can produce income from buildings that you have as well. Um, there's something called appreciation where, you know, the value of properties, I was reading this article um, not long ago in Forbes that talked about the value of properties, particularly in America over the last century, have increased by 3%. Wow. They've appreciated by 3%. And so I think that that's one thing. And then there's another article that I read as well that said real estate, I was looking kind of at the industries that produce millionaires and billionaires. Of course, a lot of us have those aspirations. Mm -hmm. And amongst that list, real estate was the one industry that was steady in, in 2019, was told to be the third industry that produces the most millionaires and billionaires. Wow. And so I think those things are really good reasons as to why people want to would want to invest in real estate. That's really good. So you mentioned something about the tax benefits. Can someone talk about the tax benefits of owning real estate as an investor? 
Joe, first, I'd like to add to that. One more reason why you should invest in real estate is because it's non-speculative. You, know, you can look at returns from the market okay. and, and other investments, but this is non-speculative. You can measure your returns in real estate, and that's one main reason also to invest in real estate. That's good to know. Okay. So those tax benefits? Well, some of the things, and this is just a, a, a way for people who are thinking about investing in real estate, there are some ways that people can actually purchase some of the taxes um, and, and it's, it's really tough because sometimes there are people who are down on their luck and they're unable to afford paying their property taxes, but there are ways that people can get involved in purchasing the taxes of those who are unable to make their tax payments and those investors can make money because there are interests and penalties that are added to the amount that the homeowner would owe um, if the person is able to eventually redeem their taxes and pay that person back. So that's one way to invest where you're not necessarily holding a property, but you're essentially holding taxes for someone for like a two-year period. So that's one thing. But there are other all of these, there are other opportunities where people can actually buy like tax deeds. They can get properties where they are buying those taxes. And if a person is unable to redeem their taxes, they are then able to own that property free and clear, aside from the fact that they act, they have to maintain those taxes. So when we talk about tax benefits, it's a little bit different. When you're purchasing a home that you're going to live in, there are some tax incentives that you have, like a homeowner's exemption that you're able to apply to get your taxes lower. When you're an investor, you don't necessarily get that because you're not living in that property. So you cannot get a homeowner's exemption. But Cook County is doing some really exciting things, and I don't know too much about them yet because they're relatively new, that are giving investors some tax breaks. Um, additionally, there are certain parts of this that you can write off when you're filing your income tax returns. And so anytime you own real estate and you're filing your taxes, you'd want to talk to your accountant to see about the different tax breaks you're able to get. That's good to know. So one thing you mentioned was tax lien. I'm assuming that's tax lien investing you were referencing because I think oftentimes uh, people come to the table as an investor thinking just maybe purchasing a multi-unit building, but apparently there are different ways in investing in real estate. There are lots of different ways to do it. And I know we're probably going to get into this, but you can be a person who does flips where you're purchasing homes. Um, you do a rehab and you'll get a rehab loan and Mark will be able to talk about that and then you're selling it and you're making a profit that way. There are ways that yes, you can go in and let's say a homeowner owes $10,000 on their taxes. You would come in and say, I'm going to give you these two years to try to redeem these taxes. I'm going to charge you an interest rate on those taxes. And in the event that that person does not redeem those taxes in the two years, then you become the owner of that property. It can be a little bit tricky because it's a certain type of person who's able to get into that business. You have to have the stomach to say, okay, you didn't pay me back. Now I own your home. Yeah. Um, and everyone isn't cut out for that. So there are different ways that people can look into becoming a real estate investor that you know aren't necessarily buying taxes, but doing other things like having a multi-unit, having a multi-unit and maybe even living in one of those units so that you are able to take advantage of FHA loans, um, but then you still have people who are actually paying your mortgage for you essentially in the form of rent. Or you could just say, I want to buy a, a six-unit building and you rent out all six of those units. That's good. So there are two questions that just came to mind from what you just stated. And so I'm gonna probably break them up a little bit. So the first one is you talked about flipping property. Mm -hmm. So I would like for one of you to actually tell our audience for someone who doesn't know what flipping a property is to explain what that is. But the second thing also is you talked about actually living within your property um, as far as uh, an investor and having tenants pay for the property. So if someone could take either one of those questions so in a flipping situation, you pretty much are buying a property that needs renovation. Mm -hmm. uh, and you renovate the property and theoretically you build equity or spread 
from what you bought it for plus the money that you put into it to renovate okay. it. And then you sell it typically under a year's time and you realize a gain from that. Okay, so. that's what flipping it is? Yep. Okay, and can Jill, you... If, if I can interrupt you. So I'll add something to that because a lot of times you may not need capital to flip a property. Uh, in some cases, something that's called wholesaling right now that's very popular in the marketplace. And what that is is someone will go out, find a property that they know is discounted that they could sell to an investor. Okay. They put that, that property under contract and then sell the rights of that contract to an investor and they'll mark it up two to $10,000 typically. But is it, it's possible to make more spread. And that way, once that property closes, that wholesaler has made five to $10,000 by just securing the property. So in essence, he's flipped the contract. That's but the, but the difference between a wholesaler and Mark, if you can just uh, dig a little deeper here, the difference between a wholesaler and an investor who's flipping is that that wholesaler is not absorbing the cost to renovate that house. So okay. the, the flipper will buy the house. They, they'll acquire what that property is, sometimes at a very low um, mm -hmm. um, value, yeah. right? And well, lower than the market, I should say, lower than the market. And then they're putting either their dollars or they've gotten secured a loan to rehab, like Lou said, and they're there for the entire process mm -hmm. until that property gets back on the market after it's been repaired to sell it and then they realize the funds from that but as a wholesaler they don't have that long process they're in and out they're not doing any rehab they're not staying around for the long haul or anything like that so okay. but so, so the entry can... the entry into real estate for a wholesaler then is is not capital based okay mm -hmm. to understand so yes. they're getting in based upon not having capital but wanting to get in real estate and that way you do a couple of wholesale deals a month you're building capital for a down payment for your own flip. Okay. So for those out there who are looking to get into real estate, that's a way to get in, into it. And you can actually look that up. You can Google uh, wholesale groups, wholesaling, just to get educated on how to do it. Because you have to have an effective attorney to understand what it is as well. That's good to know. And what that allows is people who are new or entrants into the real estate business is to learn how to spot deals and analyze deals. Okay. Um, because that's the advantage to the investor. I can bring you a deal that fits your numerics or what you're looking for, and I get paid for doing so. Okay, yeah. and question, what type of lending options are available to those who maybe um, don't know where or even how to access capital? What's so, available? So I'll take that one. So uh, it's what I do as a profession, but as a real estate investor myself, there's so many different ways to finance properties right now. Right now, the country is quite li liquid as far as capital. Okay. So you can, not only are there programs for the company that I work for that I'll go through, but there are a lot of wealthy individuals who are looking at uh, maybe a five to 7% gain in, in the market mm -hmm. and saying, well, I want my money to grow a little faster. And they are loaning money to real estate investors who have capacity to deliver and getting maybe 12 to 15% on their money. So there are tons of different ways for financing. But for us, we're an institution. I work for Lima One Capital. Uh, we're an institutional uh, hard money lender based in Greenville, South Carolina. We lend money specifically to real estate investors who uh, buy, fix, and flip, or buy, fix, and hold residential real estate. Okay. Okay. So we do that on an institutional level. So we have programs. We have guidelines where we, we need to see a little credit, but we're looking at the asset and also the, the uh, after repair value of that asset. Okay. Okay. So those programs, it's only a 10% down requirement of the total cost of a project. So that's a minimum down payment requirement and the credit score is only a 600 minimum. So for me, I think it's the barriers to entry to that are small because a 600 credit score is not much to ask uh, of a consumer. Now, the, the key thing is 
we don't loan, loan the money directly to the consumer. They have to have an entity, LLC, or a corporation, uh, C-Corp or S-Corp. Okay. And that's where you would see your attorney to get that formed in Illinois. Now, also in Illinois, the cost for creating corporations and companies has been greatly reduced in this past year. Mm -hmm. So therefore, creating opportunities for more, more people to get in. Uh, programmatic, there are tons of programs out there. I'd love to talk through more about the programs. That's a basic uh, overview of it. But if you want to invest in real estate, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be in it at this time. Right. Okay. And I'll also say on that, and we'll dive when we do, we'll have this investment workshop that we're really going to peel back the layers and kind of talk about it, and Mark will be with us there. But I also want to say that with hard money lenders, mm -hmm. like what Mark said, there are certain stipulations that you have to have, but you don't have to go to a hard money lender. You can still be um, an owner-occupant and be an investor. You can get a go to a traditional bank or get a traditional loan. You can still flip a property in that way, or you can buy and hold, be the leaseholder of um, and get tenants in the same way as well. There, okay. Like he said, there are multiple ways, but each of those ways have different rules. And when we do our one-on-one, uh, -on -one, the, mm -hmm. the investment workshop is really for newbies, those who are new to investing. Um, you've heard about, you, you know, now there, there's work, but you've heard about the money and what you can do and how you can position yourself and grow portfolios. This is for those people who are very, very new to investing. We're going to break it down in, at a one-on-one -on -one basic level and show you all of the options that you have, buying and um, flipping, buying and holding, wholesaling, bird dogging, go through all of the legal um, structures that you can set up as an individual, LLC, whatever. And so we're really going to pull back those layers at that time. But just wanted to say hard money lending is one, but you can also go a traditional route as well. Okay. And for those of you who are watching, you may be wondering what workshop Willanda is actually <laughs> referencing. Um, this team actually will be here on site at our facility where we'll be offering a investing one-on-one workshop, which will be coming up uh, next month in April. April On April the 25th, it's a Thursday from 6.15 to 9.15 for those of you who are interested in coming out. But one thing you mentioned is hard money lending. So for a person, an investor who's a novice, they don't know anything about, you know, they just really want to get started. Sure. What's the difference between hard money lending versus traditional lending? So what is, is there a difference? Yes, there's a difference. First off, I don't like the term hard because it's a <laughs> negative connotation. Okay. And, and I say our company, uh, Limo One Capital, is kind of a hybrid where we're, we're between the banks, but it, the difference is we're loaning money to the entity and not the consumer. And uh, the term hard money can be associated to a transaction that's real estate based. The interest rate is going to be higher than bank rates and it's going to be a short term loan. Okay. So that's why we're able to charge more than traditional banks. Now the, the value to that is, is speed to the market. So we're going to close faster than banks. Uh, we can close transactions in seven to 10 days and as little as five. And then we're not going to require the amount of documentation that the bank is going to require. Uh, we don't require tax returns. We don't require um, income documents. We just want to see that you have adequate capital reserves to carry the project, you have a minimum credit score, and your company in place. Okay. And so when we talk about companies and the actual structure for businesses, is it a requirement that a person, would you advise an investor who's starting out to start a business in order to get started in investing? So I would. I, I heard Mark say that when you get a loan through their company, having a, a company is a requirement. Investing as a general statement, you do not have to have a company, but it's something that I would suggest, and here's why. 
When you purchase a property, let's say that you are going to be a landlord okay. and you purchase a multi-unit building and so you have a four unit. So you have four families that are living in your property. You then are liable for anything that happens at that property. So let's say that someone slips and falls. Your tenant slips and falls and they break their leg, but it's really bad because they go to the hospital and there's an infection and whatever happens, you know, worst case scenario, right? The landlord is now responsible if they can prove that, if the tenant can prove that there was some negligence or even some sure. malice intent, the landlord is responsible. And so when you are responsible, it means that your personal person can be attacked. So your retirement accounts, your bank accounts, um, your house, anything can be at jeopardy when you are a person as an investor. So what I always suggest is you, you open an LLC. It's very simple. It can be done in 48 hours. The typical turnaround time is 30 days, but you can pay a little bit extra and have it done in 48 hours. And at that point, you are now protected under your company. And so if anything happens, um, let's say, go back to the landlord situation. So every month the landlord is connected, uh, collecting money from its tenant. So let's say it's $1,000 a month that they're putting in that account. And let's say that the landlord owns this building outright. So okay. they're um, profiting $4,000, but maybe it's $3,500 after they pay their operating expenses. So after months at a time, there's money in that account. And so if something were to happen, that tenant is able to say that the landlord is liable, but they can only come after the landlord's company's assets. They cannot okay. come after the landlord's personal home, personal retirement funds. That's good to know. Unless the landlord is uh, essentially acting in a criminal sort of way. So you can't open LLCs to protect you when you're acting in a malicious sort of way. Okay. Um, because if that's the case, everyone would open companies to protect themselves from doing criminal activity. But if you are a, a prudent person, you're an honest person, then your LLC does protect your personal assets. And so what I would suggest for a person, let's say that they uh, decide, you know what, I'm going to own four different properties. I'm going to do all of this in 2019. In Illinois, there's something really exciting called a series LLC, which means that you can open this series and it's kind of an umbrella, a parent company. So let's say it's called ABC Development and okay. that's your parent company. And then underneath it, you're going to have one, two, three company, four, five, six company. These are your company names. You can have those companies under that um, big parent company and it's really, really affordable to do it that way. So I know we're going to dive more into that, but that's that's what I would suggest for investors. It might cost you, you know, a total of a thousand dollars if you if you're going to have yeah. a parent company with four companies underneath, just to you know keep you protected. That's and, good to know. And Georgia, I, to just piggyback on that, so I have clients right now who are investors. I have certain clients who have this kind of one LLC, right, and they do all of their um, buy and flips. You know, kind of out of that LLC. It doesn't matter which way, but that's what they do. I have other investors who all of their buy and hold properties, they have LLCs based on that address. Okay. And so they have, you know, whether it's Section 8 clients or market rate, everything that pertains to that property, they put it in that LLC, whether it's, you know, 234 ABC Street LLC. And all the business pertaining okay. to that property is under that LLC and then they'll have another one with another address and another one with another address That's and good just to know. do it as an LLC and it keeps them very very organized they have all of their taxes and everything is just very so people are really um, sophisticated and once you kind of get into it and um, like Yandi said you know just kind of really stewarding and just planning you know how they want to grow their portfolios I've seen it in multiple ways. And let me add to that Walanda the reason it's important to keep it separate is if you have one LLC and you have 20 properties under that LLC and you're collecting 
receiving money from all of those properties and you have it all in one bank account for one LLC and something catastrophic happens in one of your properties, but it's all under the same LLC, you have all this money then that a person can attack if, if they are trying to sue you. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is keep it separate because if you have one, two, three Main Street property and that's where the tenant fell and broke their leg, they can only go after the assets from one, two, three Main Street. Mm -hmm. They that can't attach, attach mm -hmm. themselves to all yeah. of those other properties. So it is important um, when you're thinking about investing and if you know that you're going to have one, you know, more than one property, do a series because it's not going to really impact you financially from the setup of that series perspective. I mean, it's a nominal fee when you think about what could happen under that worst case scenario. That's good to know. And so when we talk about being an investor, is there a team that we should be considering or thinking about structuring in order to help us along this journey? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely. Um, one of the things that we teach in our workshop are the team members that a savvy investor has. Okay. Um, and oftentimes it changes based on what particular investment strategy that you're pursuing. But there are some common things. You definitely need a knowledgeable real estate attorney and real, uh, real estate attorney. Definitely need a savvy, um, experienced lender. Um, of course, you need your realtors who okay. are savvy in investing. Okay. Um, and I think that's important because there's some realtors who have specialties in working with investors um, and they help guide you along the process. Um, and it's really important for new investors because okay. there's so many different pitfalls that you need someone that says, don't go here, don't go here, or maybe let's pull in this expert to get this expert's opinion mm -hmm. so we know what's going on. Because realtors and even a, a knowledgeable real estate investing realtor um, is not an expert in the law. They're not an expert in lending. Okay. So they should always be utilizing other resources and bringing those resources to you. Um, so realtor, lawyer, lender, what else am I missing? Um, definitely someone who can give you um, idea of what the cost to repair property, uh, someone you general can, contractor. a general contractor. Okay. One of the things we teach in our workshops is um, not, not just having a general contractor who has a stake but maybe also having an independent HUD consultant yeah. who can come in and let you know what things cost. So then you can use that to kind of, I don't know, what keep your contractor honest mm -hmm. for the most That's part. Right. Yeah. And I kind of want to add to something too, um, as it relates to having a, um, a savvy real estate in, um, agent. So I was talking to Lou one day about wanting to do a flip and I mentioned an area where I had found um, a home that was like really inexpensive and I'm like, oh, would this be a good you know, area for a flip? And I specifically remember him saying to me, um, not really because that area you're finding more renters. So it's going to be mm -hmm. harder to sell that house in, in an area where, where the majority of people are renters. And so that's something that could have been a, a pitfall of mine because I'm not a real estate agent. I'm a real estate attorney. And so if I, you know, I just thought, oh, it was a good deal. This should work. Can um, I piggyback on that? So yesterday yeah. I got a phone call from a young lady who was working real, real estate agent. And she wanted to buy a HUD property. And her real estate agent wasn't registered with HUD. Okay. And he found me and said, hey, he can put the bid in. So when I got on the phone with her, I was just kind of asking her some basic questions. And she asked me, well, do you think my bid is a good bid? And I said, well, I haven't seen the property, right? You just called mm -hmm. me and put your bid in. I said, I don't know how much work needs to be done in the property, et cetera. I said, do you know how much work needs to be done in the property? And she said, no, right? Okay. And I, in my mind, I'm instantly thinking, well, why are you putting a bid in if you don't know how much work has been done in the property? Um, her realtor did not tell her that. Her realtor mm -hmm. also didn't give her an idea of how much she could sell that property for. 
when you're flipping, the first thing you need to know is how much you can sell that property for okay. and how much you need to do in that property, how much it's going to cost you because you got to backdoor your numbers. It's just critically important to have the right team yeah. um, that can actually walk you through the process, which is why we're doing a workshop. Um, we are literally teaching people how to start building their knowledge so that they can make good investment decisions. The one thing I would say, too, um, as well, is depending on your real estate investment strategy, that will inform the type of team you need to have. With all teams, um, what Lou said, you know, you have kind of your basics, including an accountant, because depending on how you set up what your attorney tells you, that's going to impact your tax breaks or tax laws and kind of all that, and you'll need that. But if you um, have a block buy and flip uh, strategy, that team looks a little different. And then if you have a buy and hold strategy, that team looks a little different. Okay. And so you'll want to make sure, and there are all these dynamics in between that you need to be aware of. And like we said, we'll, we'll unpack it more in the workshop, but depending on your investment strategy, that's gonna inform who you need to kind of build around you to make sure that your goals are met. And, and finally, I'll, I'll add to that, and she's exactly <clears throat> right. Um, in real estate, I always say real estate is a contact sport, and it's about resources to, that'll allow you to make a decision Quickly, because okay. this market is all about speed because yes. properties are gone fast okay. and if you can't evaluate it correctly or have the team to help you evaluate it mm -hmm. have your lending in place and everything you'll lose a property you'll lose out on an opportunity really quickly so, so that's should why we, it's critical so excuse me should we consider building a team before we start the process yes. so the team is so the team is essential before you even begin the process of even looking because maybe the the broker can find your property right yeah, we're, we're yeah. not taking a field with people that we can't count on okay yeah. and if I had purchased without a team and then came to Lou and said hey I have this property and heard that news after the fact now I'm holding on to a house that's yeah. right um, that I may have some trouble big trouble selling and not just building that? the team yeah not just building your team but um, researching, understanding, go to workshops. If you're going to be buy and hold, make, take property management workshops. Take what does it mean to be a landlord. Yeah. Understand the the um, the rental laws. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Those are really, really important. That you have to know what you. And we'll get into this. We'll talk about different personalities and how certain personalities work with certain investment strategies. Yeah. You'll have to know that. One thing that Mark said was, in this market, mm -hmm. properties are going fast. That's in this market. That doesn't mean that next year properties will be going fast. Yeah. That's going to be a different market. And your team has to know how to flex and adjust to those markets mm -hmm. because what the strategy that works today mm -hmm. may not work in the next winter. Year. Or, yeah, or right. as what Yandi was alluding to earlier, this market has a bunch of different markets. So yes. what's happening in this area may be vastly different than what's happening in this area. Okay. One of the things we teach in our workshop is that a savvy investor, a new investor, really should focus on a farm area okay. and learning all of the internal and external factors that affect value in that area. Okay. Can you unpack farm just a little bit? I know we're going to talk about it in the workshop, but I think that's something. So farm area is really an area that's defined by boundaries that you decide I'm going to focus on and learn and pick up information so I can spot value quicker than a person who is not specializing within those boundaries, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and what's another thing that's critically important from a lending perspective, mm -hmm. we want to know your plan. What's your exit strategy? Okay. And so risk mitigation is what we're about, and that's mm -hmm. what you should be about as an investor. Okay. Because that's how we're going to look at it. So what's your plan? What's your exit strategy? Have you, have you thought that out? Okay. Right. So it's very critical. Question. Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said <laughs> Go that. Go ahead. I'm <laughs> 
So Mark said risk mitigation should be what you should be about. That's exactly why we're here. That's why you should get mm -hmm. educated. That's why you should put your team together because investing is about risk. And savvy investors manage their risk. They understand their risk and they manage their risk by educating themselves. Okay. The other thing. So I have an example of um, a client. And so when she and I, she's a new investor. She and I started working together. Her profile is really, really amazing. And we went to see a few houses. The one house that she, the one property that she loved the most was built out. It was a three unit. It was a typical three unit property. But the seller had converted it into an Airbnb. Okay. So where she would have grossed like $3,600 a month, clean and clear as a three unit, as an Airbnb, the person who was selling it said that she could make $9,000 a month as it was. Okay. So in my mind as a realtor, I was just like, you walked into a gold mine. Mm -hmm. Everything was set up. They were going to transfer the whole business and everything. But that is a different investment model yeah. that she wasn't ready to undertake even though it would have tripled what she would have brought in. Okay. That's why it's really, really, really important. And Mark, I don't know if you want to talk about kind of, and, that's, and the markets are different, right? And mm -hmm. so Airbnbs were, are really, really popular right now. Can you explain what an Airbnb is to us? Yeah, I'm going to let Mark kind of take that. <laughs> she passed the book on to you. <laughs> well, what's also critical with it, I'll get into what an Airbnb is, but... Um, how long has he been getting nine thousand dollars a month? Mm -hmm. yeah. So from a lending perspective, if there's no history of that, yeah. So he's calculating that to base that upon his sale, mm -hmm. and if he doesn't have that history, we're not going to acknowledge it, and we're not going to lend on it. But the Airbnb model is mm -hmm. basically where where individuals are renting out their personal homes or investment properties to visitors who are visiting in town. Okay. And they're charging um, where it would typically be. $100 a night, $200 a night, depending on where it is, it could be between $100 and $500 a night. Uh, so you're looking at some serious gains, and people are doing it right now in condos, two flats. Even their single-family homes that they're living in, they're moving out Airbnb in them really? over weekends. Similar to a hotel-motel model. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, to make extra money. Um, so it's something where... Uh, from a lending standpoint, we want to see tax returns consistent over a two, three, four-year period mm -hmm. before we develop programs for that. But it is a model where an enormous amount of cash is being made. You can also look at areas like uh, universities, colleges, military okay. towns where there are graduations mm -hmm. and people coming in. So that could be an investment strategy as well. That's good to so know. So here's an example of why education is important. Airbnb model is phenomenal. If you line it up correctly and you have a property in the right location where you attract awesome. people constantly, you definitely can make a lot of money. Um, but you might want to consider something like the loan that you take out. It might have a stipulation mm -hmm. that you can't Airbnb that property. That's good to know. So it, it's it's just an example of you don't want to jump into anything without knowing all Absolutely. the pieces of the puzzle. And if I can add to that, there are also, um, if you're thinking about a condo building, there are HOAs, which are the, the, gover the government basically of your condo. And a lot of them have a rule that you cannot have short-term leases, and an Airbnb is considered a short-term lease. So it mm -hmm. may say that your lease cannot be for less than 30 days, which Got would it. knock out Airbnb. So that's just something else to consider, because there are plenty of condos where you can do Airbnb, but there are a lot where you cannot. Okay, so that's the verbiage we want to make sure that we look out for. Less than 30 days of leasing, subleasing, right? 
Okay. Yeah, Short-term leasing. Short-term leasing. Yeah. Okay. Well, even some rules with uh, municipalities. Uh, yeah. I know the city of Chicago is implementing some rules now. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are things you definitely want to understand before you Just venture out. Absolutely. That's good to know. So is there a particular time when investors should be looking to purchase property? Like, is there an advantage to purchasing in the winter versus the summer, summer versus winter? Uh, I'll take that first uh, all the time. I mean, okay. If you are a real estate investor, then you're, you're always looking. So yeah. you're always looking. And I think it was mentioned earlier, real estate is cyclical. So when you have a, a good team, you understand how the market will go up and down. And trust me, you can, you can uh, make money uh, no matter where the market is. So I would say that you look all the time. In the wintertime, if, uh, when it's snowing, nobody else wants to go out. Mm -hmm. Well, who's going to get that property if it's out there? That's and good. be able to evaluate it mm -hmm. unless you do it or you have the resources to do it. That's good. So all okay. the time. Yes, yeah, so I'm glad Mark said that because what I teach my clients all the time is develop your investment goals, right? Know what your targets are and then look all the time. When you find something that fits within your target, you jump on it, yeah. right? That's why you do your preliminary kind of setup from the beginning. Uh, I will say that historically, wintertime is probably a good time to get some okay. better deals. Because some people, you know, they say, hey, it's the holidays, it's cold, I don't want to go outside and look mm -hmm. at these properties. And some people say, hey, let's go and get them. This is the time I can get me the best value. That's good to know. Yep. And another question, I've heard the word trust, mm -hmm. right? And so when we're thinking about generational wealth or can someone explain what, well, attorney, can you explain? <laughs> of course you. Yes. Can you talk to us about what is a trust and what are the different trust types that are available to investors? So a, a land trust is essentially where you put um, the, the, the person who essentially owns the, the property, it's a trust a title company. And so your deed is with the, tri the title company. Um, now, part of the reason why people purchase a property in trust, there, there are a couple, but one of the big ones is that you want to avoid probate in the event that you die. And okay. so um, even if you have a will, you still have to go through probate. And so what, what putting a trust, uh, if you put your property in a trust, what that means is you designate a beneficiary so that that property automatically goes to that beneficiary and it is a way to avoid going to probate. Um, probate takes a while. If you have a property and you, let's say your, your um, children want to be able to live in the property, yeah. uh, then you put them as the beneficiary. Now that person, whoever takes over the property still does have to maintain the mortgage. So it doesn't mean that when that person dies, then you own it free and clear. You have to maintain it. But one of the other ways that people use trust is for privacy. So to give you an example, I had a client who was a federal prosecutor. And so you can imagine that he is helping black criminals up. And yeah. so when he was purchasing a house, he didn't want anyone to know where he, where lived. he lived. He didn't want anyone to be able to Google him and see where he lived. So what you do is you close the property in a trust. So you work with your lender in the very beginning and you say, I want to purchase this property in a trust. You have your attorney open that trust and it's a trust number so that when you close on your property, it says the owner of the property is essentially trust number 85253. And okay. that is, that's the only way that someone can really identify you. Now, that's not necessarily true because, of course, it's the Internet, right? And there are ways you might have utility bill or water bill or whatever mm -hmm. um, in your name. And so I'm not saying that it's an error-proof way, but it does mean that um, someone else cannot find you based on your deed. Um, mm -hmm. And it was historically used because there were you know, men who were the bread earners and sometimes they would maybe have a mistress and that mistress might have lived in a property. And so when that man died, he did not want 
this property to be located and he did not want his wife to say well who where is who is this property so this was put in place and so a man was able to then say well, my beneficiary is mistress Sally, and Mistress Sally would then be able to have the property privately. Okay. Um, well, we're not doing Mistress Sally on <laughs> here, okay? Let's make sure we're not I just doing it. I to give some context. I got you. No problem. So, no so problem. So that is in part, you know, how tr <laughs> where trust came from to make sure that people have privacy. Okay. Um, but it is a good way where if you want your property to be able to um, avoid, you know, should, should something bad happen, it is a way that it can pass on to people without probate. That's good to know. So is there any other thing that our, our novice investors should be thinking about? Or maybe not even a novice investor. There may be an investor who's watching right now who's pretty advanced, and they're actually just seeking some basic information to make sure that their foundation is laid correctly. Is there anything else that we, maybe we should be thinking about? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll take that too. So, it, you know, if you are a novice and you're looking at, you know, the traditional bricks and mortar investments, you know, I'd say open up to start looking at mortgage notes as a, a potential investment stream. And okay. that's, that's actually buying uh, mortgage-backed security okay. uh, that could be discounted, uh, performing and or non-performing. Uh, so many times uh, investors don't look outside to see, again, there are myriad of ways that you can invest. And when you can own the note mm -hmm. uh, and you can decide on what happens to that property, that's another way you can look at it. Uh, for some of the beginners, if you're serious about getting into real estate, uh, outside of uh, watching, you know, some of the flip uh, HGTV shows, um, you know, you engage. You have you have to engage, and then you have to be pragmatic and strategic about how you want to do your business. Okay. Whether you have the funds yet or not, it's still a process of at least developing your plan. But I would say start if you're a beginner at this kind of format where we're gonna host coming up on the 25th, Yes. is it? And, and then you can build in relationships from there. Okay. And I wanted to um, just touch on something we touched on, but we didn't really go into it. Um, for those first time home buyers who are also interested in becoming investors simultaneously, and that was the concept of getting um, uh, maybe a two or three unit building, and then you live in one of the units. And so the way that it works is that, let's say you go under contract, you find a two-unit building for $250,000, and you have a loan on that. You have an FHA loan, maybe, and um, you're going to live in one of those units. And let's say that the mortgage on the $285,000, or I'm sorry, I think my example is $250,000, $250, maybe the mortgage is $1,900. Okay. And so if you have a, a two-flat building, or even a three-flat building, each of your tenants are contributing, let's say, $1,000 a month to you in rent. So if mm -hmm. I have a three flat and I'm getting $2,000 a month from my tenants and my mortgage is 1900 it means that I'm actually earning a $100 profit plus I'm living rent free. That's okay. And so that is how people can come in who want to be first time home buyers and don't, maybe don't have the desire right now to flip because what's most important to them is having a place for them to live. Mm -hmm. um, they want to just have, you know, home ownership. That's the way that they can do that together. Yeah. That's a great strategy for entry. It's called house hacking. Mm -hmm. And you can house hack your way. I have a client right now who started mm -hmm. that way. Okay. And he now owns uh, 1,100 units wow. around the country. And he actually attracts capital because he's learned how to deliver returns through house hacking. 
Wow. He started living in the property and he did it again and did it again. Yes. Okay. So that's an excellent I, strategy. You know what? There is another question that came to mind. So I see these uh, huge units. They're like 18 units or more. Not, not for sure if courtway is the proper term to describe those types of buildings. But for an investor who's interested in maybe purchasing something like that, are those typically group type investments or are those owned by individuals? It could yeah. be yeah. individuals. Yeah. yeah, it okay. could be both. Uh, but so from a lending perspective, uh, we want to see you have experience. Those are called multifamily units. Okay. Anything five units and above is considered multifamily commercial. Okay. So it's a different lending program. We would like to see you have experience at least owning a one, two flat where you've been a landlord before you move mm -hmm. up there. So a strategy that people who don't have experience is they'll partner with uh, investors with experience on an acquisition of an 80 unit okay. and they'll share in, in the revenues. Okay, course. that's good to know. And, and as far as like percentages down for even engaging, well, we know with the two unit or two, let's say two to five unit, usually what is your percentage down? Would you ask, you would tell a person that so, they're looking to be paying? So it'll be one to four units, it's considered one residential. One to four, okay. Um, and you can do as low as three and a half percent, sometimes 3% conventional. Okay. Um, kind of what Yandi and Mark were talking about, the house hacking strategy. Um, I've had clients in the past that may have bought a three unit. Mm -hmm. They plan to live in the building. Mm -hmm. They lived in the basement and they okay. rented all three units because you can live in the basement of a unit if, if it's your unit, right? Okay. Um, and then the return becomes phenomenal on three and a half percent that you put down, right? Okay. Now, if you go above four units and you're in the commercial, five units is mm -hmm. typically 20, 25% down. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Any other last thoughts for our viewers? Um, just be disciplined. Um, if anybody tells you making money as a real estate investor is quick, um, please stop talking to them immediately. Um, this is something that requires um, sustained effort and, and commitment to education. And if you do that, you can make a lot of money in real estate. Alrighty. Yep. So for those of you who are viewers who have tuned in for our real estate investment segment, we thank you for tuning in for today. Remember, there is a workshop that will be coming up on April the 25th where we will be teaching real estate investing 101. We will talk about all these different topics of investing and all the different strategies that are available to you, the viewer. For those of you who have not registered, make sure you do so. Go to our website, www.jvs.edu and register today. We look forward to seeing you there. We want to hear from you. Submit your questions in advance to Money Mondays at jbs.edu. For those of you who would like more information about real estate investing, go to our website at www.jbs.edu and register for the upcoming workshop on April the 25th. Don't forget to join us every first and third Monday of the month at noon to hear a new money topic on money management and wealth creation. Subscribe to the JBS YouTube channel and join us next time as we talk to real estate tycoon Willie Bermeo from Florida. And as always, I'm your host, Jill Thompson, and I look forward to seeing you prosper.